Revelation chapter 3. If you remember, I've, I, we have that little handout there for y'all. Um, does everybody have one? Handout of where we are in Revelation. Kind of has some key words and other things that are there. Just a little recap. Uh, the book of Revelation, it's divided into three parts. Verse 19 gives the outline. We're in the uh, second section. The first section is chapter 1, where it talks about Jesus, a vision of Jesus. The second section is chapter 2 and, two and 3, where Jesus writes letters to his churches, seven churches to be exact. And we're in the middle of the fifth church right now, Sardis. And so um, after, uh, in like around three weeks, we'll start to get to all the crazy stuff where they're the bulls of wrath and crazy horses riding around and things like that. So we're going to get into that uh, in a few weeks, but that'll be the third, third section. But if you look at where it says an outlined revelation right there in the very front, it says uh, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place, place later. We're on what is now. And so as we're looking at these seven churches, there are different uh, applications, how you can apply what we're actually reading. How, what, what do I do with it? Well, Number one, if you look on the very last page, I think you flip it over, the application, applying Jesus' letter, four levels, see that? As we're reading through these letters, to, there are, um, there's a local application. In other words, these are real people, real churches at a real time way back when. So we're talking about Sardis, that's a real church. So there was an application to them, historically. What, what was God telling them to do? And then, if you notice, at the end of each of the letters he writes to them, there's a phrase. The phrase is, here, you know, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church is plural. So there's something that we can gather. Each church can gather from what God is saying to the other church. And so there's this collective thing where you can look at each of these churches, and, and as we kind of get to the end of it, you can see what God's told them, what's going wrong with them. And what's going right? And you can kind of just piece together spiritually any church you're, you're a part of. You can kind of look at it and just say, oh boy, you know what? I, we've got to work on this and this is what we do pretty well. And, and, or, you know, if you look at you know, the church in America, let's just say a big giant uh, part of the body of Christ. You can say, boy, you know, we, we kind of struggle like this one church and we do these other things really well, you know? And so... Uh, they kind of give us a spiritual outline of what, of what uh, is going on in the churches. And then there's uh, another phrase. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who has an ear. Who has ears in here? Okay, cool. That, so that's personal application for you. What's God talking to you about this morning? What's he saying to your heart as you're reading these things? What, what do you need to change? What do you need to be encouraged in? What's God saying? Good job. Keep going. What's he saying? Hey, Watch out, right? So there's that application. Then lastly, there's a prophetic application. I want you to take this with a grain of salt. Just take it with a grain of salt. You can, you can take it or leave it. But yeah, I kind of find it very interesting that, uh, that actually the seven letters, I, I feel, lay out church history from the apostolic church until the modern day, I think, until the t- coming of Christ. And you can take that and you can... You can mull over it if you want, and, but it, I, I would challenge you in this. If, it's in, if the tr- letters were written in any other order, it doesn't work. And it's just surprisingly, 
similar to what was going on in each of those ages. So the letter to Ephesus would be the uh, first age of the church of church history, the apostolic age, when he told them, "Hey, you know what? You're, you've done great on doctrine. You're doing great on that, but you've left your first love." You know, and then he goes into the next stage, which is the persecuted church. He's telling them, just hold fast. Hold fast. I know you guys are going through a lot, and, and there was great persecution. And then, you know, we, we've gone through all these things, and, and the marriage of the church with Constantine coming up. And last week, we talked about the medieval church a little bit, how uh, the introduction of icons into worship, the Babylonian traditions were all crammed into our church service. Kind of, kind of weird, you know. We just got done celebrating one. <laughs> da 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 ba humbug. So, um, you know, I, right? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying that. Yeah, you can take that with a grain of salt too. But, uh, but it's true, you know, that the church adapted all these pagan things, and so you have this medieval church that had all this worship of icon, the kiss, kissing of. Uh, the papal feet, the, uh, you know, just all these types of things that got uh, thrown in to their liturgy and their worship. And so it was just this uh, pagan people in the priesthood, it became political, it became totally different. And so, uh, and Jesus said, hey, to that church last week, said, yeah, awesome works. Done a lot of great things, but you know what? You tolerate that woman Jezebel. And remember Jezebel, she uh what she did is she enticed people away, caused people to, uh, the, the, uh, the, in the Old Testament, she caused people who were married, uh, you know, t- who were uh, Israelites to marry foreigners under foreign gods, and that would pull them away. And so there was this whole big thing. So in other words, there's just the marriage between the world and the church. You tolerate this. Why are you tolerating this evil, you know, in, in, in your church? You're, you're, you know, uh, tolerance is, is good. We want to love people, but you know what? When it comes to evil, call it evil. The church should be holy, set apart. Are we all, on a, are we all in progress here? Boy, I, I don't want to be judged, <laughs> you know? And we call sin, sin, right? Hey, you know, that's sin, got to repent. But we don't condone sin. We don't say, oh, it's okay, you can continue in that. That's where the church goes off. And that last church, the church last week, you know, was having issues. And, and now we're entering into the next church. And if you want to look at it from a prophetic, from a historical aspect, you'd probably say that it would be uh, the church of the Reformation or the denominational churches. And Jesus has nothing good to say to them. And so uh, you might go, what? You know, but like I said, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, a lot of great things happen, but uh, boy, dead as a doornail. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and just take it from the local perspective, what God was talking to that church at that time. And it says, To the angel of the church of Sardis write. Now, if you go into your letter there, it says Jesus' letter to this, the church in Sardis. There are seven things about each of these letters. There's the name of the church. So Jesus starts out by saying, hey, who this is to? It's to the church of Sardis. And then he does an attribute of Christ, right? And then a commendation. And then a concern. And then an exhortation. And then a promise to the overcomer. And that closing phrase that we see all the time, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So you see these seven things in the churches. And some of them are absent on purpose. 
And we'll get to that the last week. It'll kind of give you an idea of what might be going on there. But uh, to the angels of the church of Sardis write. And Sardis means, as far as I could tell, red ones, whatever that means. But it might be referring to the uh, Sardis stone. And what's interesting is that the stone is mentioned in Scripture on the breastplate of the high priest and also in the New Jerusalem. But truly, it's something that had value, but it's lost its meaning. People don't know what it really means, which is the ironic thing. And everybody's trying to figure out what Sardis is. Well, we all know that the Sardis stone was valuable, but no one knows what it is. You know, that it was probably some kind of stone that became common. And really, there's no great definition. And I find that's kind of funny because that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You have a name, but you have no, nothing to you. And so <laughs> that might be some part of the little mystery here. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. But the fact uh, it has a name and can't be identified kind of goes with the thrust of what Jesus is going to say to them. And he goes, this, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, again, what do the seven spirits of God and the seven stars represent? When we interpret Scripture, it's best to use Scripture to do it. Amen? Don't go to your dictionary. Don't go to any of that stuff. You go to Scripture. And Revelation is like a puzzle with a good concordance, right? You can unravel the meaning of the verses. You know, when you go and you looked, I told you about, uh, you know, the recommended resources on here, like Blue Letter Bible, you can type in a word. So if you're looking for, you could type in stars, and it'll give you all the verses in the scripture that have stars, and you can go read about what it is. And you can take these phrases. Well, guess what? They're already identified for you. They're already defined for you in scripture. So don't go making stuff up, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, okay? Just read what it already says, and we're going to be good. And so, Revelation is like a puzzle. And again, the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit of God can be found in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1 and 2. And you read about that. It says, A shoot came up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Obviously, this is talking about Jesus, right? And it goes on in verse 2 of chapter 11 of Isaiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Very interesting. Sevenfold manifestation of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. Sorry, my this head thing is acting up. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, speaking of, of Jesus. So that seven will, So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. He who has the Holy Spirit in his hand. Jesus holds the Holy Spirit in his hand. So he reveals himself as the one who has the Spirit of God. Why would he reveal himself? Keep that in mind. And we know from the end of Revelation chapter, uh, the end of, uh, chapter 1 of Revelation that the seven stars are the angels or the messengers. The messengers to each of the churches. Angels means messengers. And so the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, this is verse 20 of chapter 1, and of the seven golden lampstands is the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus is revealing himself, an attribute from chapter 1, if you're falling out on your, on your outline here, it's number 2. He reveals himself as the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And he goes on and says, I know your deeds. 
He says that to all the churches. I know your deeds. The Lord knows what we're doing. Don't be fooled. He knows good and bad. You can have everybody else fooled, and he knows exactly what's going on. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, notice something's missing here. We just went from number two in our outline to number four. There's no number three. There's no commendation. He didn't have anything good to say. He just went straight to, oh, man, you guys are messed up. Some of us are like that. <laughs> you know, because you have a reputation for being alive, but in actuality, you are, at, you are dead. And so Jesus reveals himself to this church. Jesus has nothing good to say about this church. In fact, he says, well, later on he'll say some good things. In fact, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And I find it absolutely appropriate that Jesus reveals himself as the one who holds the spirit in his hand and the message to a dead church. Because what what a dead church lacks is the spirit of God. They have all the functions, the formalities. They have all the things that are going on that make a church look like a church should be. But they don't have him. And that's what was going on. That's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. I mean, he just wept over them. He looked at them and said, man, you've got all the things going on. You've got the worship bands. You've got the sacrifices. You've got the prayer services going. You've got everything. But you forgot me. I'm out hanging out on the hill over here. What about me? Why am I not central in here? Jesus, you know, we can do church, guys. You can do church in 2012. Have fun. And you can go on being dead. You want to do Jesus. You want Jesus in your life. You want his Holy Spirit to fill you. And I'm talking about crazy, charismatic fill you. Don't be scared because of our Baptist background, Southern Baptist, so even worse, right? Let him fill you. Let him overflow you and change your life. Torrents of living water will flow out of your life. We've got the scriptures. We know when you start barking and clucking, we're going to smack you upside the head. Right? But I mean, being filled with love towards one another, a love that you don't have, that I don't have. Being filled with a compassion for the lost that we don't have. Boy, this world is longing to fill themselves with something. And the very one thing that we need is the Spirit of God. The counterfeit that this world gives and has for each one of us. I don't care what it is. We all have it. We want to fill ourselves with it instead of Him. He says, come to me, man. You you, you have a reputation. You know that word reputation? That means a label, a name. You have a name put upon you. But guess what? It's void of substance. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That speaks to my heart. Hey, he's the pastor. He must have it all together. He has this, you have a reputation of preaching the word, and you have a reputation of all this stuff, but man, are you dead inside? Are you really walking with the Lord? Are you loving your wife? Are you loving your kids? Or, are you, or are you just playing the game on Sunday morning? You know, and everybody sees you, and you're walking around and all this stuff. I'm telling you, this is the real deal. This is where rubber meets the road for us as Christians. Those who are Christ have crucified 
their passions. Those who are Christ will walk as Christ walks. So do we have a name? You know, I'm getting into the personal application already. But I mean, this church had a reputation of being alive, but it was dead. It was dead. Man looked at it and said, man, that church is alive. They rock. They've got the cool youth band. They've got the cool youth worship ministry. They've got the pastor who's charismatic and smiley and all that stuff. And then they've got, you know, I mean, whatever it is that we kind of value in the society as we shop for churches because we're a consumer society. You know? But Jesus is saying, that's what man thinks. That's what man wants. But I'm telling you, you're dead. Ouch. Man, what he sees is what we value so much. But what God values is often different from the reality of what's going on. Amen? What does God see in my life? What does God see in CCF? What does God see the church in Walla Walla or the Church of America? Do we have a label or do we have substance behind the name? Perhaps a little bit of both. I'm, perhaps we're fine. I, I mean, we've got to take true stock in this. Let the Spirit speak to us. But they were, vow, they were void of the Spirit. You know, reputation isn't always a good indicator of our walk with the Lord or of someone else's walk with the Lord. It's always the guy who is nice, whose neighbor ends up being on the nightly news going, man, the guy was nice. I don't know how he could go berserk like that. Remember that? (laughs) I mean, I get, no, I'm sorry. I come from San Diego where that happens every day, but reputation is a poor indicator of our true spiritual condition. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. That word reputation, like I told you, says it means a name. There's a label beyond, but that's what man says, but you are dead. And if Jesus says you're dead, guess what? You're dead. Remember what Jesus says happens? Like, man, you are dead. That's a good assessment, Lord. I agree with it. Yeah, I'm dead. Sardis was, is known as the dead church. And so, not according to man's definition. If man, it was man's definition, they'd be the rocking church. They'd be alive. Right? Jesus says, guess what? You're dead. They had works, and those works made it seem as if something spiritual was happening when, in fact, there wasn't a pulse. Now quickly go back a few lines and you remember he tells them what's the he tells them he reveals something about himself that it's that's important for this church. These are the words of he who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The spirit of God is needs to be pumped into a dead church, you know, a dead marriage, a dead life. We need the Lord and that's not something you can manufacture. It's not something you can summon. It's by grace. You just ask. And he responds because that's who he is. And he can come and he can fill your dead situation, your dead life, because that's what he loves to do. That's who he is. Did you know that? He longs to be with people who are broken and messed up, who are dead. He wants to go and he wants to revive you. He's into the business of things being dead and resurrecting them. Did you know that? That's the business we should be in. Lord God, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Fill us 
with your Holy Spirit, that we'd be known as a church who is alive in Christ and dead to the world. Amen? Now Jesus exhorts them in verse 2 what they need to do. Wake up! Right? Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. So their picture of themselves and the picture that others had of them was way off from what the Lord, Lord saw. They had a reputation they were alive, and Jesus calls them dead. And so Jesus exhorts them to wake up or to be watchful in some of your translations, right? Be watchful. Jesus says that all the time to his disciples. They always like to sleep. What does that look like? What does that mean? I mean, start to attend to your situation. I've called you what you are. Now let's do something about it together. Boy, that work of the free will of man is a hard deal. See it the way Jesus sees it. Be alert spiritually. Wake up. Just to name a few ways we are to be watchful. 1 Peter 5, 8. And these verses are in your, um, under your words and terms. I added a bunch more. I'm only going to go over three. But 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and be sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy wants to take you out. So be alert. Know that he has you pegged. He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He wants to take you out. Be alert. Be vigilant. Matthew 26, 41 says, Then he turned, he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're to watch to fall into temptation. Temptation isn't something that just suddenly overcomes us. Oh, it creeps up on you. You know it's coming. You know what to do. Run. Do whatever you do. Cut it off. So, another one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day will not should take you by surprise like a thief. You are like children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Uh-oh, New Year's verse for y'all. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, Boy, if you're living the other way, that you are appointed to suffer wrath. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in the fact you are doing. So wake up, be watchful, for his coming is near. Another thing we're to be watchful for. Not only to wake up, but they were exhorted to strengthen what remains and is about to die. Have you ever woken up from you know, deep sleep and you got one of these situations where your arm doesn't work? Okay, few yeah. Okay, well, it's when you fall asleep on your arm. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, man, I'll wake up and I think it's gone. <laughs> like, it's not. My arm is asleep. It is dead. Like, there's nothing in there. I can do this, and I cannot feel it. Pins and needles. And then, what do you got to do? You got to start moving. And do you want to move it? No, because you know what's coming. It's gonna hurt, and it gets ah. Oh, you're like. 
for me, it takes like 10 minutes because I have poor circulation. And I'm just like, oh, man. And it kills me. It starts stinging. But you get blood flowing in that thing. It starts to rejuvenate the cells. And you start to live again. Man. He's saying strengthen those things that are about to die. We're talking about a body that everything is asleep. You know, they're dead. He said, you got to take care of it. you got to get in there. Move. Start exercising spiritually. Otherwise, you're just going to be, you're you're in atrophy. You're going to die. Start pumping blood into that area, right? Sardis, we have a problem. The church is asleep. Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Wow. And have not, and you have not completely, and it goes, and have you f- completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as father addresses a son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens every son he accepts. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. They don't care about you. But if God's disciplining you, telling you to wake up, start pumping those arms, get going, you're dead. He loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Obviously, this is a different culture. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Wow. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God's discipline for us is for good, for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Some of you, the Lord is waking you up from your deep sleep of slumber of death. And it's hurting. It doesn't seem pleasant for the time. But in the end, give it time. God is going to do a work in our hearts. Amen? Give it time. Keep going. It's not the instant gratification that we've all been taught if you're 30 and below, 40 and below. You know what I'm saying? Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weakness. Make level the paths of your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Strengthen the parts that are about to die, Jesus is saying. Why? Why does God want them to strengthen their de- the, the, the things that are about to die? Why does God want you to strengthen the things that are about to die in your life, the things that are, are going wrong? For I have not found your deeds unfinished. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. His work for you is not done yet. He has things for you to do. You're not doing them. I'm not doing them. You know, that's what he's just talking to this church going, hey, wake up. I've got things for you to do. The church's purpose is to do the will of the Father. Amen. The work that Sardis was given was incomplete. So how do they wake up? How do they strengthen? You know, Jesus can 
Jesus can call the Father without any problems, and some will say, well, that's a different thing. But remember, he, this is how he says it in verse 3. He says, so how do they wake up? How do they get strengthened? In verse 3, it's the same old stuff, guys, gals. Verse 3, remember, therefore, what you, what you have received and heard, hold fast to it and repent. Remember, the first thing we're to do is remember, right? Remember what you've been told. Remember the message, the word that you've been told. Go back. Remember the message. Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Don't treat it as common. But hold on to it and repent. Let it do that work in your heart. Turn you back towards the Lord. You can have goodness in your life. Number three R's, remember. Remember, return, repent. Those were the other ones for the other church. But if you do not wake up, I will come to you like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come upon you. Now, the geography of Sardis was very interesting. It was a city that was pretty well fortified. It had giant cliffs, 1,000 feet, 1,500 feet, some say, on, on three sides. And so you only had to defend one side, the front, right? And you had that thing all walled off. You seemed like you were pretty good. Well, there's a problem there is that there was this one king in 549 who said was attacking the Lydians. The Lydians had the capital of Sardis there. He said, okay, I'll give the man something. I'll give any soldier something. You could find a way up the cliffs. And so one of the guys was watching one of the soldiers. The soldier dropped his helmet off the cliff on accident. I don't know why he did that. But anyways, he went down a little path to go get it. And one of the soldiers was watching him. And so anyways, by night, they came up that next night and crawled up that thing and took over the city on their undefended walls like a thief in the night was the, was the phrase. And so Jesus is saying, hey, your city, wake up. I'm going to come upon you like a thief. You think you are guarded. You think you are protected, but you are unfortified. You have a reputation for being you know, a fortress, but you are not. And it was, and he came, and it happened again in 200 BC or something. They did, they didn't listen from history. That's one thing we. What is that, that one common phrase? The one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just. Uh, so he says, but if you do not wake, I'm going to come like a thief in the night, and you'll not know what time you I come. And in Matthew seven twenty one, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The deeds of this city, they had a name. I don't know what they were, but they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. Yet, Verse 4, and here's the encouraging part. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Only a few. That's scary business. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will blot out the name of that person, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, 
but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. So, as we're looking at this, we have to take stock. I, I just love going through Revelation. Everybody thinks of the church of Philadelphia. No, just get out of your head. There's some good things, but, you know, we identify with things we want to hear, right? <laughs> There's something in here for every single person. Yours truly, definitely included. Let the Lord speak to your heart this year. Don't go on with the motions, but be on fire. I want to see God do amazing things through us this year. He's already been doing some cool things, but I'm talking about exceedingly above and beyond. Especially those of you who've been through so much this year, you know, this past year. God's preparing you for so much more. Not necessarily the bad things, but he's going to use you in people's lives. He's refined you in certain ways that other people have not been refined. Allow him to do it. Allow him to use you. Step out. Remember, you might feel crippled in your situation, but once you obey and you let him and you just respond to his spirit, he will give you the strength to stretch out your hand. Don't go by what you feel, but go by what he says. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the letter to your church, Lord. We are your church, and I pray that, um, Father, if we are the ones saying that we have a reputation and we're alive and we're actually dead, I ask that you'd reveal it to us. We don't want to go around walking blindly, Lord. Help us not to rely upon our good works for our status with you you know, or our happy conversations or whatever it is we have. But Lord, will you, by your spirit and by your word, show us where we, where we truly are with you. Convict us, Father, and change us. That we would be those walking in white garments with you. We want to be clean and pure, Lord, not stained with the world. I pray if anybody needs to repent, that they would do it now in their hearts and call out to the Lord. And that God would give you a new, fresh year. You know what's so cool about the Lord? He says that His mercies are new every morning. And somewhere in my 20s, because I'm a slow learner, I learned that it's morning always somewhere. And that just refreshed my heart. So yesterday is yesterday. But today is a new day. Father, will you speak to your sons and daughters in this room? All of us, Lord, are just your sheep. And we need your gentle hand. Lead us in the right way. But make us super sheep this year, Lord. Ask in the name of Jesus, amen.